the book of Hebrews. And it's a short reading this evening. I won't promise a short message, but at least a short reading. Hebrews 5, and we're going to look at simply verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. And we'll read those in a moment. But before we get to those, looking out this evening, um, no doubt everyone at some point in time, uh, save for possibly one person here, um, has uh, been to a wedding or some sort of grand celebration where there was a lavish meal. Um, what usually comes to my mind um, is you know, when I think of like a, a wedding with like a, a lot of uh, uh, fanfare and, and uh, you know a lot of food and, and follow up and everything. It's usually an Italian wedding. Um, uh, so imagine that you we have all been invited to a twelve course meal, and. Um, will just fill up all those 12 courses with all of your favorites. So, um, I don't know how, we probably have more than 12 favorites, but let's just assume they're all filled up. And we all come and we all show up and uh, everyone brings their appetite, ready to celebrate and ready to eat. The tables are beautifully arranged and you go to the the front and you check the seating chart and then rather being seated with your friends or your family you find that you're seated at the kids table and instead of that 12 course meal you are going to get chicken fingers and fries now I am not knocking chicken fingers and fries but in that situation you would be rightly angry if you were assuming you were an adult and assuming you went in with those expectations. So it's with that sort of uh, initial background and story that I provide that uh, I want to read verses 12 through 14 of Hebrews 5. And we read in those three verses. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, a few reasons why I chose this text. Um, and it's in some ways, it's sort of. Uh, I always find it fascinating. This one I was sharing sharing with Sherry this morning. A lot of times, I usually have an idea two or three weeks in advance, and it's. I mean, God just sort of uh, provides the the uh, the ideas and the ammunition as as it is necessary and needful. And for this one, honestly, there wasn't any aha moments or anything. But we were doing um, 
an int so we were uh, this flat past Friday we were doing a switchover in books for our Friday group so this past Friday really it was just an intro we had finished our book the week before we had been studying the book of Romans and we had chosen the new book and it was really just uh, presenting the new book to uh, to those who were there and in this case, essentially one of the main things I wanted the, the kids to know that night was that, you know, the book we chose was one that was focusing on the base knowledge or some of the core arguments and doctrines that we believe. And the reason we chose this is we have a relatively new group on Fridays. And it, we're still sort of learning where their spiritual... Um, uh, strength and health are we're learning how much they know um, and you know with our previous group one of the things we knew fairly comfortably was where they stood and what we could do and what we couldn't do and we're still kind of learning that with this group so we really focused on a book that gave you know sort of real building block basics now that was what we did on friday but further consider for yourself, not that we were doing this purposely, but prior, uh, you know, going back not all that long, only like basically three months or so ago, when we were studying that one book in the evening services. I'm going to put everyone on the spot here tonight. Do you remember the title of the book? Uh, that was what Jesse did in one of his messages. Yes. Fundamentals of the faith. Yes. The book was called Fundamentals of the Faith. And the, once again, the reason this was chosen was it was, give, it was teaching the core elements of what we as believers uh, accept and understand. So we, we can see here a common thread and focus. And then even further, just to kind of really bring it home, what I can tell you, and I mean many of you probably have had this conversation, but Pastor Jesse, in his ministry, one of the things that he really, really owns and, and uh, focuses on is pushing that we as individuals and a church are in the word. That we're growing in our spiritual maturity and that we're growing in our spiritual knowledge. So, I thought it might be a good thing to look at and consider the church that we encounter here in the book of Hebrews. Three verses, three points. So, the first point we see in verse 12 is their current state. And we'll just reread the verses as we reach each point. So, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. We see here that the people get a message that is timely, that is honest, but is also not the most flattering is necessary and truthful for them to hear, though. For any of you who uh, work in a business, one of the times of year that is always fun is performance evaluations. 
We're about to go through those at, at our company. Um, within the next couple weeks, I get my performance evaluation. Now, as we all enter into our performance evaluations at work, you know, we usually get an opportunity to tell or, or to share how valuable we were and how much we contributed in the last year. And sometimes others get to have some say in it as well. But imagine going into a performance evaluation at work and you're expecting possibly a raise, possibly a promotion, and you're going to be told how great you have been. And instead, your manager just completely tears you apart and tells you about all the many ways that you failed in the last year. It's tough to hear. But what we see here is the people of Hebrews are being given and delivered a tough message. Now, my understanding, and I am not, as, as I do not volunteer myself as a, uh, the most informed uh, uh, student of all things uh, Bible, my understanding is uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is somewhat under... Well, there's different uh, theories, but in many cases, some believe it's from, from the Apostle Paul. And, it, you know, if it is from Paul, it certainly sounds like Paul in terms of how he would write to his followers. But we hear, what we see here is a people who have heard the word, who have been preached, possibly even by Paul himself. And they initially responded. And they received that word. And we can tell that they are in the continual practice of gathering together. But however though, they're now in a position where the writer essentially says, you should be a teacher at this time. But you still need to be fed the basics. You need to go back to square one. And you need to be taught all and taught again. Because somehow along the way, they have lost either the knowledge, the instruction, or the application. But in some senses and in, in, in some ways, these are people who you know, would, have, would not be new Christians, but they would need to be treated and taught as new Christians. You know, and even just the uh, like, just the way it's phrased. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, that just sort of seems like a striking blow to them. You know, you should have been teachers by now. You should be here, but you're here, and it gives a sense of a group that's been blessed by the word yet have wasted it and need the basics to be taught to them again. Consider an adult, fully grown, suddenly needing only to eat baby food over solid foods. It seems a ridiculous concept. It's preposterous. But when we think of it in terms of spiritual food, it is a sad thing to think that there are people who identify as believers, who rather, you know, and for various amounts of time, whether it be one year, two years, maybe even 10 or 20 years, 
rather than being taught, rather being teachers, rather than hearing, you know, more complex things, they need to go back to the basics and hear God, you know, like the, the fundamentals of what God has to say. Now, rather than just look at this from a past tense with perfect 2020 vision and look at these Hebrew believers and sort of, you know, uh, look and point your finger at them and say, you know, you bad, bad Hebrew believers. I mean, I think it's also easy for us as we read through the text, you know, as we read through the Bible sometimes to look at, you know, even say in the Old Testament and you see how, you know, the progression of Israel goes. You know, the book of Judges is a great one. We, we heard a message from it this morning. And you know, as Cheyenne basically said, it was probably the most positive chapter you could find in Judges. Because there's a whole lot of other chapters in Judges which do not put a very good shine on the people of Israel at the time. And it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, come on now. How can you not see that lesson? How can you continually fall? But let's rather than focus, you know, on this group of believers that, you know, uh, from previous days. Let's be honest with ourselves. Can it not the very same things be said of many Christians today? Of many churches today? There are people who've been going to church, some for a very, very long time, who think they know a whole lot. But ultimately, they probably need to go back to the basics. They need to hear the basics again. They need to uh, essentially get back to the fundamentals. Because they have somewhere along the way fallen off. So how can we see it in the church today? Well, I wrote a few down. It's not an exhaustive list, but from my perspective at least... We can see people showing up on Sundays for the show of it, for the effect of it. Now, and it's true in any church. You know, and it's, we can't necessarily look at Enerdale and say, well, except for here, we're different. But it is true in every church. There are some who will show up on a Sunday really with the sole purpose of the show of it. Their head may not be in it. Their heart may not be in it. It's so that, you know, someone can say, well, they go to church, so they must be good. We all know that's not to be the case. And, you know, for those uh, who would be in that situation, you know, these are people who would need to go back to the the fundamentals and the basics. There are those in the church who are not invested in their spiritual growth. As part of uh, what I wanted to teach the youth on Friday, I found a, a survey that sort of uh, spoke about the number, you know, like people who identified as Christian and what they believed and, you know, how much they were in their Bible. And, you know, it's, it probably doesn't surprise us to hear and say that there are many Christians who, when they leave church on Sunday, that Bible is closed again until they show back up the next Sunday. And that's not a good thing. There are those people who are not in their Bible. There are those people who are not in prayer. And the sad truth is, many of these folks are blissfully ignorant 
They do not know it. They think they are fine. They need to hear these words of Hebrews. Where, you know, uh, and just reading verse 12 once again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. So while it's a sad picture, I think the, the point that we need to take from this is to be, you know, to look at ourselves uh, and, you know, look at ourselves in an honest and uh, blunt way and say, is this us in any way? Can we see it or, or even is, is it is someone we know that we are close to? And may it not be. But if it is, we need to be honest with ourselves and deal with it. We can't ignore it or overlook it. And if we identify with it in any way, may this scare us. And may it awaken us. Because if Christ were returned today, and to see the church in its current state, you know, there are many people that would not be ready for Christ's return. So, we see the current state. In verse 13, though, he transitions. And we see the picture of the unskilled worker. Or the reality of the unskilled worker. And what we read there is, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 13, the food analogy is extended. So this uh, analogy of milk and solid food. There are many odd diets today. As many of you would be able to attest to, and if anyone who's actually just uh, had a a very cursory view of my shape, um, you'll know I have never dieted. I probably should. I thought I was good. For the longest time, my metabolism was working for me. And then as I got older, my metabolism stopped working for me. And I started putting on weight. And that first time that, you know, the doctor called me obese. Ooh, that was hard. <laughs> that was not an easy thing to hear. But he was right. <laughs> so there are many odd diets. But imagine a diet fad today that would start where it's like, don't eat solid milk or don't eat solid food. Meat, you know, vegetables, none of that. Just drink milk. Probably would not be a healthy diet. Probably would not give you everything that you need. Milk in itself is good. An all milk diet is probably very bad. So, these unskilled workers are portrayed as both ill well these workers are portrayed as both ill and unskilled particularly it says unskilled in the word of righteousness so what does that mean or you know like what like why why focus on that well a couple weeks ago or last week yeah last week time goes by real quick we just did our annual meeting now for those who are relatively new to the process, that was a very quick annual meeting. You have no idea how much you should appreciate that meeting. For those who have been here longer, 
The longest I think we took in the annual meeting was maybe about two and a half hours. And part of what we used to do in the annual meeting was everybody who was going to serve in an office on some level, we had to vote them in. So every Sunday school, every usher, every counter, every deacon, name the role, it needed to be voted on. And it took a little time. And if we're honest with ourselves, as we look at, you know, Enerdale today, we have made steps and progress in terms of our workers. If we, were, if we looked back at those days and looked at our list of workers, there was a number of jobs, but there was only a certain number of names that were down there. And certain people had a lot of jobs. I don't say this as a point of pride. Rob and I almost had a little mini competition going for the longest time to see whose name was on the sheet the most. And it wasn't a healthy competition. <laughs> so, you know, it's a good and healthy thing for a church to have as diverse and as many workers as possible. But, to the point of this evening, it's not a healthy thing to put unskilled workers in positions of ministry where they might be in a position to teach or to influence or, you know, uh, many other things. It can be a dangerous thing. As I was kind of filling out the gap, like filling in the gaps to my message this afternoon, I was trying to think of like an example of where it could be a dangerous thing to have an unskilled worker in a, an important uh, role. And I will confess, I, the first thought that came to my mind is I did not try and think of any biblical examples immediately. The first thought that came to my mind, for those who are familiar with the show, not that I watch this on a regular basis, but I do remember this when a few times I would watch The Simpsons, and I used to watch it a lot more, you know, as a kid. For those who would remember Homer Simpson's role, the genius that Homer Simpson was, was the chief officer of nuclear safety. That was part of a joke, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, you know, is a dangerous thing. And when you think of it from a church perspective, it's not a funny thing. Today, as you look at the church, and I say church in general, not just Enerdale, there are a shocking amount of many unskilled workers present, and some in important roles. I will confess, to be completely and brutally honest, I was grossly unqualified for some of the positions I served in my earlier days. I'm not going to say I'm totally qualified now, because honestly, that's really a push. But, you know, like in some of the early, early days when I was doing, you know, say like the decontrol and everything, really I was only in that role because there was no other choice to put there. And we have to consider, you know, the, the, the damage that can be done by putting unskilled workers in the church in these important roles. Just think of the example of a teacher. 
Teachers are important people. If you put an unskilled teacher in charge of a group of Sunday school kids, who knows what they learn? Who knows what holes are in their biblical knowledge? So, it's a hard truth from God, but those who are in a role simply because they've been around a long time, that should never be the, you know, the way a church thinks or you know, looks to fill a role. I will, I will say this much, at least in the business uh, context. I am a firm believer in the uh, concept of promotion through attrition. Which is to say, this is how I got promoted at work. Just a whole bunch of people left. And they were probably more qualified than me. (laughs) But they got to a point where enough people left, and they're like, well, okay, who do we have to promote now? Uh, I guess we're left with that guy over there. I was not the first choice of the class of people that came in when I started there. But a whole bunch of other people left and I stayed. So, therefore, I got the promotion. That should not be the case, though, when it comes to the church. That does not always mean that there's, it's the person who takes that role is qualified. They're not necessarily best to serve. Servicing God's word... Servicing God's church is a privilege. It's not a right. It's not earned by seniority. And may we and other churches not be overrun with abundance, with an abundance of, of unqualified workers. May we look to have a whole bunch of people who are skilled workers and to be using those skilled workers in the right roles. But just putting a person in a role simply because you want to put an extra name on the sheet is not a way of going about things. Now, as I say all this, this is not an indictment of Ennerdale. Please don't think that I am trying to make a point and, you know, say somebody, you know, within our our leadership or within our, our service is unqualified. That's not the case. Although if Cy was here and if Cy is listening, she might be unqualified. I can get away with that now. (laughs) But may we each consider ourselves and where we're at in our spiritual lives. And may we be striving to become those skilled workers. And even if we feel a little bit unqualified, may we be striving to be doing better. I think we all really kind of have to ask, our, ask the question of ourselves. Could this you know, definition or you know, description of the unskilled worker, could this be us? And if it is, may we take steps to make sure that that is not the case. Now, there are examples in the Bible. We see in the Old Testament, Aaron's sons in the early days offered defiled offerings as priests. And they were struck down. We see the lineage of Samuel. The priesthood was to go through Samuel. And what do we see? After Samuel, Israel goes to a king. Because Samuel's sons were not serving or in a qualified role to take that on. If you read through, you know, the book of Chronicles and Kings, first and second. 
you see the, of the lineage after David and Solomon. And there are some bad kings and some really unqualified people in those roles. And whenever a person is in the role who is unqualified, it usually turns out pretty bad. So service is a blessing and a privilege. And may we see it as such. And may we may strive to, to be in service. And may we strive to be worthy of the role of service. Um, you know, it's uh, one of Jesse's biggest things that he has always carried as pastor is, you know, the burden that he has as the leader here, as our shepherd of our spiritual development. He is more than acutely aware of the Bible's teachings of, you know, like its expectations and its, uh, uh, you know, in terms of teachers. And, you know, not everyone is to be a pastor. Not everyone is to be a teacher because there are burdens and expectations on those roles. You know, for a person who takes that role willy nilly and does not understand the expectations that God has and just spews out anything they want in those types of sessions, they are taking on themselves a very particular judgment. So, may we see service as a blessing and a privilege, and may we not be that unskilled worker. Finally, we see verse 14, where it reads, But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, much of this verse is very much uh, sort of contrasted and commingled with the previous point. The first part of verse 14 really brings home the difference uh, between verse 13. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. Now, that does not mean full age in terms of, you know, you need to be, uh, you know, a certain age to serve in a role. It's not like a ride at Canada's Wonderland where you have to be this tall to be on the ride. It really refers to full age in terms of, your spiritual maturity. You know, you can have someone who is older and has been a Christian longer, but who is less mature than someone who is younger and has been a Christian a short period of time. So, what I really want to look at in this case, though, is that phrase, reason of use. Because I thought that that sort of uh, pulled my attention. And it implies to me one that is in the word, accessing it, applying it, benefiting it, benefiting from it, and using it. We have been blessed with the scriptures. We should be using the scriptures. In prayer, in fellowship, in reading. We are, we are to be you know, doing what we can to be getting the full value and full benefit from God's word. And we're not even, you know, like there's the individual way of looking at it in that we need to be doing it, you know, for the full value for ourselves. But we're not just to be keeping it to ourselves either. We're to be, you know, helping others. If we see someone in the congregation who needs assistance, who is struggling, and we're, we're in a good state, we should be helping 
we shouldn't be keeping the word and the good news to ourselves. It implies that we're speaking with God regularly and that we're using his word to benefit others. Consider how those in service can encourage us. I mean, for those of us who are Christians, what I would say to you is, you know, just think of those individuals and those people who helped lead you in the first place to the word. Helped lead you to the Lord in the first place. They were an encouragement. They were in service. They helped uh, show you uh, and and, uh, in many ways uh, witnessed to you. And they were a big blessing. We need to be a blessing to others as well. This this whole thing to me implies or seems to give a, a peace of mind and control. Now, that doesn't mean that life is under control. For those whose life is under control and it's all peaceful all of your days, that's good. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, it's, we're, you know it may, may you appreciate that and may you uh, see the blessing that God has given you. But we can see, say, in the life of, you know, many in this, in this church alone, we can all think of, you know, one or two families where that, this is the case. Where we can have a peace of mind spiritually, even if life is a little chaotic otherwise. Pastor Jesse can have peace of mind spiritually, even though Joel's going to run roughshod around the house pretty much every single day. Even though life may be, may be chaotic, with God, life's chaos is somehow, you know, it's sort of a steady normal. Uh, It it can, you know, as much as it can uh, affect your day, it doesn't necessarily throw you off. It is just part of your day and you adjust and you are able to uh, manage. Consider the the apostles as they were in the boat, as they were uh, sailing across, uh, and Jesus was sleeping and the waves, you know, uh, basically got really uh, like there was a storm and the waves built up and they were fearful of their death. That, in a sense, is the chaos of life. But as long as they were by Jesus, all Jesus had to say is peace be still to the waves. And the storm was calmed. In a sense, we even in the, the storms of day-to-day life, we can have a calm and a, a sense of um, just sort of uh, rightness with God simply because he blesses us with this. With this, he allows us to have our, our senses exercised as well to discern good and evil. As Christians and as hopefully workers, May we all have the ability to use God's word to help to discern between good and evil. There are so many people who may be Christians on the surface who do not know what they believe and can be, you know, uh, uh, very easily thrown off and may start to believe something that's not right. 
we need to have a proper sense of good and evil. This is more so than just a calmness. It gives us vision and it gives us perspective. It allows us to be in the midst of that storm and see calmly where God may be leading us. You know, I've seen this in, in the, this is somewhat of a, a tangent here, but I've seen this for those who have heard uh, Rob do his testimony. Rob's life has not been a sea of calm and tranquility. <laughs> but God is using him. And in many ways, some of the things that happen have happened for a reason. And God is leading it to go to a certain course. And I think a lot can be, you know, that can be said of all of us. Maybe not as, you know, severely as, you know, in the case of Rob. But, you know, we can all sort of see little uh, events and, you know, things that happen in life that maybe you didn't want in the first place. But because it happened, you ended up experiencing something and that made you stronger because of it. You know, so having this ability to discern between good and evil sometimes does give us the ability that even in the midst of the storm, we can maybe start to see the shore on the other side as we are going to it. We still may be in that midst of that storm and it still may be very stormy, but we can see where it's leading to. Now, all this basically leads me to, it led me, I was trying to think of, you know, to to some degree, I, I had to transition to a close but it really helped me to think of one additional uh, portion of scripture. And I'm just going to read it. We're not going to delve into it too heavily. But, you know, this issue of discerning good and evil, what it led me to think of is Proverbs. So if you could turn to Proverbs 1. And we're just going to read the first seven verses of Proverbs 1. Where it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man in knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is an interesting one, as you know, for those who have read through it, because, you know, it is very unique in the Bible in that it really is, you know, almost a lot. And once you get deep enough into it, it's like two verses point then another point next two verses and another point the next two verses but it has a lot of good life advice but one of the things that sometimes is overlooked is this very beginning the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge how can we get wise how can we be able to discern between good and evil well first and foremost we need the fear of the lord and for those of you who have heard jesse preach it before the fear of the lord is really simple 
is not having this, you know, intense fear that God is going to strike you down and that you need to be on your knees and you need to be, you know, living, you know, like looking around your, you know, like looking behind your back, you know, that uh, it may be your last day. It is simply putting God in his perspective in us and ours. It's putting in, see, putting in seeing God as the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit that he is. And is putting us on the proper plane, which is way, way, way down compared to God. And if we do this, and we start to do that, we start to see ourselves in those terms, then we can have that ability to be able to discern between good and evil. We can exercise knowledge, which leads to wisdom. So, in some ways, in what I've said tonight, it may seem a little bit flippant and easy to say, you know, because some may be hearing this and you may be struggling. You may be ardently trying to work through a difficult season of life. You may be looking to God. You may be praying to him. And, you know, th- these words tonight may seem like, oh, it's easy. All you have to do is be able to, you know, apply yourself and discern good and evil. And then, you know, even the worst of things will just go swimmingly. It will be easy. It's not what I'm trying to say. But we can have comfort. Even in the midst of discomfort, we can have comfort. God's words and lessons are not beyond us. Some concepts are difficult. I would, you know, for those, uh, for those, I would say, you know, when, you know, like you get to a concept of something like the end times. If you start hearing someone who thinks they can discern between all the stuff in Revelation and the end times, I would probably run from them because it's, no one knows. Well, no one, no one can know everything for certain. We can believe and we can suspect. But the Bible's pretty clear. No one truly knows. Some we may only understand on the surface. And that's fine. But many of the teachings of the Bible can and will be revealed with simple effort and study. And too often today, it seems we miss this. We miss the step of the effort. It's hard, so we don't try. Um, one of the things that used to be, so uh, as many of you know, we are now on the New King James uh, Bible uh, translation, which is a perfectly good translation. We used to be on the King James uh, translation. And when it came to the kids trying to understand and uh, learn their verses... The kids in particular struggled with it, with the yees and the theys and the thighs. It's like, what is this word? <laughs> and it was not a simple thing for them to do. But what we had to explain to them is just because it's hard doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to apply yourself. You have to try it. You know, it's not easy at first, but over time, the more you do it, the easier it will become. And if we put in the effort... God will give us the encouragement and we can become these skilled workers. So what then? I'm at the end. Let us strive then to be skilled workers. 
Let us strive to be a church where this, this text could not be said of Ennerdale. Where we have people who, uh, we have a, a number of people who are not able to take solid food because they need to, uh, to be more fed on the milk. Let us strive to be children of faith and to be rich, to be rich in doctrine. Let us take our Christian walk and identity seriously. And in doing so, we will walk rightly. And if we do that, then ultimately what we can and what we will see is, we will see many skilled workers here. We will not have to worry necessarily about having people who've been here for a long period of time who do not know, you know the, even the basics of their faith. Maybe we still have people here who are new because they've been, you know, drawn here and we need to feed them milk. That would be great. But ultimately, Lord, what, what it comes down to is, you know, God would put us in a much stronger position if this was the situation where we could all be seen as skilled workers, where we could all be seen as taking our walk seriously and we would all be in service and if that is the case, then it's, you know, the, you know, the questions of growth and the questions of, you know, all this stuff can change. I'm not sure. It's, um, I don't always uh, pay deep attention to the Our Daily Bread but, uh, lesson. But the one this morning I found to be interesting. It was, and it spoke about a, a village in Australia, I believe, where there was, it was a tribe and there was 1,300 people, you know, and... You know, on Tuesday nights, I remember when I was up here, we talk about how we need to see a revival in Toronto. Now, Toronto is on a bad course. We need to see a revival here. We need to see a revival in Toronto, right? And in this town, the word started to spread. And ultimately, in a town of 1,300 people, 1,000 people were going to church on Sundays. This didn't happen by accident. It happened because there were skilled workers. It was happened because people were in the word. You know, and part of it, you know, a lot of it, ultimately, all of it is, is of God's will. But we have to be doing our part too. And if we're just sitting back and we're a bunch of unskilled workers who require, you know, a, 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 a weekly feeding of milk from Pastor Jesse in terms of, you know, what we believe and what we should be doing, then we will not be doing our part. So may that not be us. And, you know, may we be a, a strong church as a result of the fact that we are all growing in grace and knowledge. With that said, um, we will do our last hymn.